This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Since October, we've been bringing you conversations with HPF's community partners, grassroots community organizers who are at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Today's episode features our final interview from the 2021 cohort of HPF grantees. Today marks our 26th regular episode, our 26th conversation about Hawaiian sovereignty, environmental justice, food security, language and identity, the protection of Eevee and other pressing issues in Hawaii. As we wrap up our conversations with the 2021 cohort, we're excited to look ahead to the coming year. Earlier this month, the HPF Grantmaking Committee awarded community-raised funds to 31 new and returning organizations, an even larger cohort than last year. This year's abundance was only possible through the advocacy and generosity of you, our HPF community. Mahalo nui for your support. We can't wait to share our new and returning community partners' stories with you over the coming year, and keep an eye out for additional special episodes throughout the summer. We have exciting plans ahead. In today's episode, we're speaking with Imai Kalani Winchester, Noalani Goodyear Kaopua, and Mahina Kaomea from La Ho'ihoi'ea Honolulu. The celebration of La Ho'ihoi'ea, Hawaiian Sovereignty Restoration Day, was revived in the 1980s by Dr. Kikuni Blaisdell, who organized the celebration at Thomas Square in Honolulu for some 20 years. In the 2000s, he passed on this kuleana to Imai, who has worked with other organizers, including Noi and Mahina, to grow the Thomas Square celebration into what it is today. In this conversation from March, Imai, Noi, and Mahina talked about the history of Kalahoihoiea, the passing of the torch from one generation to the next, and their visions of the path to an independent Hawaii. Today, we're talking with Noe Lani, Imai, and Mahina from La Ea. Would you all introduce yourselves and give us some background on the history of La Ea, the significance of this holiday, and how it originated? Winchester, Hello, everybody. My name is Imai Winchester. Um, I am one of the organizers. Um, for Kalahoihoi'ea, which is the famous celebration of our independence, which was marked by the famous motto, Ua Mau Ke'e O Kaine Kapono. On July 31st in 1843, over 100 and something, 70 years ago, um, this famous declaration was made by Kaui Keoli Kamehameha III um, in a large national celebration that would become the first uh, public park in the Hawaiian Kingdom. Today we call it Thomas Square. Um, but at this site, uh, a grand celebration was held at the official return uh, of Hawaiian sovereignty to Kaui Keoli and to the Hawaiian Kingdom um, by Admiral Richard Thomas, um, whom after a short and brief five-month occupation by the British rogue agent Lord George Paulette and his buddy Richard Charlton, um, who took control of um, the small kingdom uh, for some time, uh, lowered all the Hawaiian flags throughout the kingdom. Uh, and raised for a short time the Union Jack. Um, and so on July 31st, 1843, um, the lowering of those Union Jacks um, and the raising and the restoration of the Hawaiian flag and Hawaiian independence 
uh, was celebrated throughout the Hawaiian Kingdom, um, established in 1843 and carrying on uh, for decades later until the illegal intervention and occupation by the United States of America, of which we are currently struggling against. Aloha. Aloha and I'm just one of the many people who help make Lahoi Hoi Air celebrations happen on Oahu. There are now um, celebrations all throughout our Paiaina, which is super exciting. Um, but we kind of come from the genealogy of um, Uncle Kekuni Blaisdell and Uncle Imaikalani Kalahele and Zizhari Kekoolani and others who started um, to revitalize the celebration of La Hoi Hoi uh, in the mid-1980s. And then um, <clears throat> we're kind of the next generation to carry that forward. And we're really excited to also have with us here today um, Mahina Kaomea, who's going to be the next generation to carry it forward after after us. Uh, mahalo kumo. Um, aloha o vauno o Mahina Kaomea no kaua kanikoo o heeia. Um, aloha, my name is Mahina Kaomea, and I've been raised by the kanikoo rain in the ili aina of Ioleka'a in the ahupua of heeia. Um, and I think my first introduction to La Ho'i Ho'i Ea was taking part in a summer program with Kumu Imaya and Kumu Noe um, after my freshman year of high school, in which we went on various huaka'i. We actually went to Thomas Square, and it was during that week that I first learned the history that Kumu Imai started speaking about in his introduction. Um, and that was really gripping to me, too. To hear that quote, um, and to know that our ea still endures, it was really empowering. And um, because of because of that experience, and also because of the pilina, I was able to build with those kumu. Um, it was really special to be welcomed back to the space of laho iho ea um, as a youth organizer in different capacities over the past couple of years. Yeah, mahalo for having me. Can you tell us about those first modern celebrations of La Ho'i Ho'i Ea in the 80s? Can you describe, you know, what they were like, what people experienced there, and, and then how it's evolved since then? Um, so contextually speaking, the reemergence uh, of Kala Ho'i Ho'i Ea um, was directly impacted by the illegal overthrow and intervention occupation uh, by the U.S. who systemically tried to eliminate and replace um, not just our language, not just our culture, but also our national consciousness, our memory. Um, and in doing so, the process of Americanization, which um, attempted to replace um, that identity uh, of who we are and who we've always been uh, with the colonial structure uh, that we struggle against today. Um, and so in 1985, a uh, very important and renowned doctor in uh, hematology, uh, Dr. Richard Kikuni Blaisdell, um, who many consider one of the four founders of the modern Hawaiian independence movement, uh, became radicalized 
um, and conscientized after his return from uh, his time in Japan, where he dealt uh, with the ramifications of um, the U.S. military machine, um, with the dropping of the bombs on both Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Uh, he volunteered and went um, to the front lines, and there he served. Um, and he was so moved and inspired, I think, by what he had witnessed and what he had experienced there. Uh, he even adopted a son, uh, a young boy who was orphaned um, during the attack. And he would later bring his son uh, back to Hawaii, uh, where he would eventually meet uh, his wife, um, I think over in Chicago at a medical school. Um, and they raised their children together uh, here in Hawaii. Dr. Blaise, that was incredibly important and a, and a pioneer in, uh, in medicine, specifically one of the critical founders of the School of Medicine here at Hawaii. Um, he also had a couple of friends who went to war uh, and fought in Vietnam who came back uh, influenced uh, by black revolutionary thinkers. He began to open up to a sense of his Kanaka identity. Um, through the discussions that we have with people like Imai Kalani Kalahele. Um, and these leaders really helped to awaken uh, a sense of Hawaiianness in uh, Uncle Kekuni, um, both as a Kanaka as well as a patriot and Aloha Aina. Uh, and by revitalizing and remembering and reconnecting those critical parts of who he is, who we all are, it really awoke um, Dr. Kekuni Blaisdell um, to his role and to his kuleana, to his people. Uh, one of the things, of the many things that he did uh, was to begin and establish and sort of resuscitate the national celebration of Kalaho Iho Ea through a grassroots movement um, that he funded uh, with his own uh, checkbook um, with an organization that he called Kapakao um, Dr. Blaisdell was famous for these meetings he would host at his home uh, up in Nu'uanu and Halika Ohinani. Um, every Thursday night um, was sort of this collection, this gathering of all of these radicals, these rabble-rousers, these leaders, these students, um, these activists who would converge um, in his living room under the banner of, you know, independence and justice. Um, and they would discuss, they would plan, they would share um, by the time I was a young student at the University of Hawaii, um, heavily influenced by my time at uh, Kamakakuo Kalani Hawaiian Studies by influential teachers, Kanani um, K. Trash, John Osorio, uh, Kanalu Young, um, we were compelled um, to activate ourselves. Um, and so Kekuni Blaisdell was a mentor uh, for our generation, um, one specific mentor in our generation who was critically involved with the reestablishment of Kalaho Iho Ea, specifically at Thomas Square. Now, when I was 22 or so years old, um, this is the first time I was hearing about any sort of National Hawaiian celebration at the time. Um, but I was young, I was eager, and I could lift heavy things. Uh, so I was part of the setup crew, the breakdown crew, the Lave Lave crew, the serving of the Ava. Um, at these ceremonies that Kikuni would sort of call um, on the final Sunday of July uh, with a small handful, well, 
with a nice sized group uh, of Kanaka Mali freedom fighters mm. and allies uh, who would converge around this tanoa, um, this bowl of ava, and through ceremony and through speeches, through songs, through sharing, um, and finally through the um, the ceremonial lowering of the Union Jack and the raising of the High Hawaii and the telling of the story of Kalaho'i Ho'i'ea and the day that Hawaiian sovereignty restoration, Hawaiian sovereignty was returned uh, to the Hawaiian people. He reminded us uh, of the power of justice. He reminded us of the power of, of action and the power of, of measurement. And so through these gatherings, um, Dr. Blaisdell sort of really helped to elevate the discourse on Hawaiian independence specific to Hawaiian restoration and this day, Kalahoihoi'ea. After 20 years or so of being the convener of Kalahoihoi'ea at Thomas Square, um, Dr. Blaisdell was looking to um, transition. And so I was still a young student at that time. Um, and I recall being in his living room, um, surrounded all of these famous legends in Hawaiian resistance history. Uh, and he asked a simple question, um, who of you is ready to take on this kuleana? Um, and it was a very heavy question and it was silent for, for a while uh, because of the weight uh, and because of the disbelief maybe uh, even that uh, Uncle Kekuni wouldn't be around forever. Uh, and so he used his foresight um, and trust and guidance um, to really create the conditions for our generation to step in. Um, I don't consciously remember volunteering myself, uh, but my hand went up <laughs> and he looked at me and he saw it and he acknowledged uh, in his special way uh, with a little bit of a look and a twinkle in his eye. Um, that the Kuleana would go to me. And so I was very fortunate to have a amazing uh, support and a team that I worked with. Um, and that team has sort of evolved and grown over nearly two decades of my time um, as lead organizer, convener of Kalahoihoia at Thomas Square. Um, and so like Noi had mentioned, uh, we represent sort of the second iteration, the, the second generation, second wave uh, of Aloha Aina to really put our stamp, to put our fingerprints uh, on top of this national celebration. We bring to us the foundation of education. Uh, we are teachers, we're students. And Dr. Blaisdell always really, I think, had a special place in his heart uh, for teachers, um, young teachers who were active, who were intelligent and handsome and were willing, you know, and courageous enough to make things happen, um, to advance, uh, to progress, uh, to take a chance. And so with his guidance over several years, uh, myself, as well as many other, not youth anymore, uh, many of us of our generation uh, contributed to the overall 
growth and maturity of what Kalaho Ihoia is today. Um, in the past, Dr. Blaisdell's event uh, was the final Sunday of July that lasted a few hours um, and included many people from around the community. In 2005, when we sort of took over uh, to Kuleana, uh, we used our educational foundation to really try to expand Kalaho Ihoia and take the message and the mo'olelo and the inspiration to our people um, in the different communities, wherever they may be. Um, we thought it'd be easier to, to package the story and bring it to the community and engage them that way um, because not everybody could make it over uh, to Thomas Square on that final Sunday. So uh, over the last several years, uh, we've tried very hard and relied even harder on our community partners to really build and develop an entire month-long series of events. Um, they not just talk about Hawaiian independence restoration, they talk about Hawaiian cultural reacquisition, they talk about language, they talk about traditions, customs, theories, philosophies. Um, we raise the consciousness of our people in, in its totality. And part of our kuleana as educators in this generation was really to conscientize and to bring to the forefront um, this notion and to really make it, dare I say, sexy. Definitely popular in the sense that Hawaiian independence was no longer stigmatized the way that it was in the previous generation, that the tense response reaction to what Hawaiian independence restoration could look like then versus what the discussions are now are very different. Uh, our people have matured. Uh, and I always say that this time is a very exciting time to be Hawaiian because we've never been more ready than we are right now. You know, it's been over a hundred years since we've had the type of capacity, um, hope, strength, future foundation that we've had in over a century. And so we live in a very important and crucial time of crossroads to advance, to move forward um, with a clear intention, with a stronger foundation of who we are and to really ignite the flame of imagination of what we could be in the future. And so we know that time is cyclical, that Kuleana is cyclical and eventually our kuleana will need to be passed on. Um, and so we've made partnerships and alliances uh, with DJs, with rappers, uh, with spoken poets, uh, with educators, uh, with healers, uh, with farmers, with straight activists um, to really celebrate the vibrancy of our lahui. And I think kalaho ihoi'ea is important and unique because it is one of the few instances where the Hawaiian community, the Lahui, will get together, not in opposition of something, but in celebration and, and the uplift of, of our collective power and strength. And so for me, Kalaho Ihoi Ea, which translates into Hawaiian Sovereignty Restoration Day, is not just about reminding and reminding our people about this history, but it's also breathing life into the sleeping giant.
um, to wake up, to stand up, and to move. So part of our contribution, our generation's contribution, uh, is to really catalyze and amplify and elevate uh, our level of understanding so that it, it, uh, it stimulates action. Um, and that's where the next generation's kuleana, however they deem it to be, that will be their kuleana to sort of decide, like we were given the kuleana to, to decide what our contributions were going to be. So uh, I'm also very excited uh, to have youth uh, participation, um, youth investment, uh, because I've gotten older. I used to be young. I've gotten older. And the only way that this is going to stay and continue on is if Kalahoihoiea gets younger. Um, that our faces are different. Um, and I've seen this celebration grow from a small event at Thomas Square at the end of July into a Pai Aina wide celebration on Maui, on Hawaii Island, on Kauai, uh, even across uh, the Mokuhonu at New York. There's, there's communities that are celebrating uh, at Central Park. Um, there's communities that are celebrating in Tokyo. There are Hawaiian communities that have been scattered uh, all throughout this, uh, this globe who are all still linked and connected uh, to the story of our restoration, to the future of our restoration. And so Klaho Ihoiea was recast um, and was evolved into a very special kind of event that takes place over the course of an entire month uh, up to 20, 25 different projects. Uh, and so we're very excited to have a chance to, I guess, talk a little bit more about some of those projects today, uh, which I'm excited to hear some of our youth uh, organizers who've been here as students, now as organizers um, in that sort of cyclical and reciprocal relationship that us Kanakas like to embrace, um, to really hear their voice and hear their, what their future imaginations of what Kalahoehoe is gonna be. When we're kupuna, and we get just to show up and hang out underneath the kupuna tent and get lomi lomi. I'm looking forward to my lomi lomi one day. Um, but sorry, thank you. I'll, I'll definitely stop there. <laughs> so the first thing that came to mind, Imai, as you were talking about, you know, that moment when the question was posed of who of you is willing to take on this kuleana? Um, just yesterday, Kenji and I were speaking with Auntie Lynette and Uncle Sparky from Malama Makua about this transition that they're in right now to try and find their next generation of leaders. And taking on that kind of kuleana is no small choice. Um, so, you know, Imai, you said that your hand just went up and it was something that just happened. But I'm wondering if Noi and Mahina, do either of you have any insight about what it has meant for you to come to that decision of saying yes to the kuleana that you're called to? Do you have a, any thoughts about it, Mahina? I think I think about a couple of things. Like I think about how, um, like when, when you're growing kalo, like I feel like I've been really lucky to be the oha, like the the baby shoot of the kalo with regards to lahoi and like being sheltered by the low um, of the makua that have like really allowed for my growth. And I feel like 
there's a moment in the cycle of Kahlo's life that after, like after you kind of grow and after you come into your full potential, then those huli need to be replanted in order for the Kahlo to keep growing. Um, and so I feel like when your kumu ask you to do something, you can't really say no um, because of all the ways that they've helped you grow and um, sheltered you as you were a little baby Kahlo growing. And so um, I think that was one of my main i'ini to be involved. Um, and also because of the way that, like I've really appreciated how La Ho'ihoi'ea has helped me to cultivate pilina with a lot of folks in our community who I really look up to, um, who've been role models to me and who've taught me a lot with regards to to organizing and building, building momentum, building movements, imagining what sovereignty could look like in practice that I think really can't happen in a school setting or can't happen outside of actually doing the work. And so I've been really grateful to be brought into that. For me, I, so Uncle Kekuni was a mentor for both Imai and I, although at somewhat different times. Um, so each of us went through Hale Ka'ohinani and, and the meetings and meeting and connecting with activists um, and people from all over the world that would come through Uncle Kikuni's house. Um, but really, as Imai said, like he was the one to take on that kuleana of Olaho And so, you know, Imai and I are partners, life partners. And so I think early on when he first took that kuleana on, I think it's important for you know, partners to have their own areas of kuleana that they're not constantly overlapping, right? So a lot of what I tried to do in those early years was just give him the space, support him where I could. Um, but then I think what I really appreciated was that as Laho Ihoi'a evolved under Imai's leadership, he created these spaces for other people to create new kinds of ways to celebrate in whatever fashion was their passion. And um, so for, for me, you know, that allowed me to get involved with organizing an event that was um, sort of connected, part of the network of La Hoi Hoi you know, um, but it wasn't the Thomas Square event. So there were many of these, right, that happened. The film festival was born and um, the organizer, main organizers for the film festival are, you know, not us. And there, there were other aspects, right, that were that were born. So for, for me, it was Nahua'ea, which is a spoken word um, and community poetry. And it's a community building event. We've had it in um, Ko'olaupoko since it was created. And um, the first one, um, it's been at Papahana Kuaola for most of the time of its existence. The very first one, um, I was actually pregnant, so it really felt like this time of creation and um, being generative in, in different kinds of ways. And so um, Aiko Yamashiro and I um, convened some people together and we both shared this love of poetry and poetry as a way of building community and holding stories together and being able to hold at the same time 
the the pain of ongoing occupation with the celebration of our persistence and the continuation of our ea. So that very first Nahua ea um, was not long after Colin Elderts had been shot um, in a Waikiki McDonald's by a federal agent. And so we were we tried to bring together at that event and hold space for um, his ohana and others who had been impacted by um, by state violence or police violence um, with, you know, being pregnant and about to give birth to new life. And like, so for me, poetry um, is a place to do that. And it was also an opportunity for us to take the celebration of La Ho'ihoi'a out of Honolulu um, and into another moku. And um, so that's just one of the, the sort of the threads or the offshoots of the greater La Ho'ihoi'a celebration that, that has been born. Mahina, can you tell us about some of the youth programming, both that you participated in and now that you're helping to organize? Yeah, of course. Um, I think one of my favorite memories of La Ho'ihoi'ea um, was organizing a youth panel for Ho'ike'ea. So Ho'ike'ea is like the education or education thread of La Ho'ihoi'ea focused on like sovereign pedagogies and aina education um, and how to implement those things in practice. Um, and that's always been something that really excited me, both as a student and a young person who's having my own experiences with the educational system in Hawaii, and also as someone who aspires to become a kumu um, and to do aina education in some capacity. And a couple of years ago, for Ho'ike'ea, we had a youth panel that I co-organized with Nakaya Lin and Desiree Burton, who were part of Hawaii for Black Lives. They they were part of like the group of youth that created um, that like organized the huge march um, in Honolulu um, in connection with Black Lives Matter, um, along with Hina Ka'opua, who recently graduated from UH um, and. I know in high school was doing some um, awesome like education workshops um, for teachers. Um, and it also did organizing with Kia'ike Kahokani um, and Anala Howard, who is working with Kokua Kalihi Valley and doing awesome like Aina education work there. So the, the five of us um, co-organized a panel talking about solidarity and allyship and how to stand together um, as youth organizing for our different communities. And the we actually structured our panel around a quote from Frantz Fanon. Um, and I remember it being like we revolt simply because for many reasons we can no longer breathe. Um, and we kind of used the potency of that quote to think about um, both like how I can't breathe was like often the last words of many of the black folks like being killed at the hands of police. Um, and also to think about how like the word for sovereignty in Olala Hawaii means to breathe and to think about how 
like the colonial systems of violence were making it difficult for both of our people to breathe and thinking about how to work together um, to rethink those systems and to imagine sovereign futures that would really lead to collective liberation for all of us. That's really beautiful and exciting to hear about and brings up the question for me about your vision of the future and what each of you is holding and moving towards in this work, you know, either specifically with La Ho'i Ho'i Ea or in general for sovereignty for Hawaii. Well, I've often imagined um, that the message of Dr. Blaise, though, which was always, if a powerful nation such as Great Britain could rectify their error in a civilized manner with respect to laws and respect to the customs and traditions of our people, then the same thing could be expected of the United States of America. And, and so when my time is done, uh, before that time, uh, my future involves the restoration ceremony from the United States of America back to the Hawaiian Kingdom at Thomas Square. Uh, the original seed, the pico of our liberation. And I see massive celebrations. I see carnivals. I see fireworks. I see parades um, annually. I see Thomas Square and Kalahoihoiea as a base and a foundation for alliance building for justice struggles for all people. And that Hawaii itself can be a center, uh, a beacon for justice. Uh, that all peoples of the world who struggle against oppression, colonialism, occupation, will hear and feel the story of, of our people's success and will flock, uh, will grow and will build with us. And when we achieve independence again, we will become active agents with that independence. We will be ready to run our own schools. We will be ready uh, to govern ourselves. We will be ready with all the appendages that a healthy and vibrant Lahui needs. And as a teacher, you know, for almost 20 years, I've always considered my position as a state worker, just training grounds for what is to come, which is a liberated Hawaiian nation with a strong and progressive educational system based and grounded in our Hawaiian customs, traditions, and values, making us a uniquely and identifiable Hawaiian kingdom, uh, not just another entity operating within the same facets of the oppressive system upon which we struggle against. I see schools celebrating. I see uh, a redistribution of, of education and how our kupuna and our community resources become central once again to our society versus cast off. I see, I, I see healthcare, I see nutrition completely reformed 
to fit and to satisfy who we are as a people and the aspirations that we have um, given our position uh, in the big Pacific. And so I look at Kalahoe as just a step within a larger cadence, uh, a larger march, a longer march uh, towards AL for the world, um, justice for the world, um, liberation from all forces uh, that oppress. Uh, and we are just one of the stories, one of the threads, you know, in the rope of resistance in the borrow line. Um, and to one day know that, you know, that we've closed the gap, that the big breach that wiped out the pond at Heia with a massive storm and created this big gap in this long kuopa, it can be fixed and repaired again. Just like the long history of our people, of our existence in these homelands was breached by just a small little incident. And even the loss of our language, that's two, three generations. But I see the repair and I see the restrengthening and the refortification of all of those things making us even stronger. Um, that we repair that gap. I tell the story of my daughter uh, who was born into this reality. She doesn't know a time when there was no Olel Hawaii. She doesn't remember a time when there was no Kalaho Ihoi'ea, no Kalakuokoa, no Makahiki. Um, we repaired those things. We can continue to repair, we continue to restore. Uh, and, and beyond restoration is, is to create, you know, is to extend um, the reach of the wall, extend the, the vibrancy of this pond, of this lo'i, of our lahui. Um, and that's on the shoulders of, of, uh, of the next generation, you know, and the generations to follow. And so this is a continuum, just like we are a part of where Kekuni came from. We know that we're passing that on as well too, um, for the future imaginations of, of our people um, to execute. And so we hope that at some level, if they hear this message a hundred years from now, that you continue to work, you continue uh, to organize, continue to collaborate, continue to strive uh, for what has always been ours, which is our place here in Hawaii. Um, and so the future, I think, has yet to be written, but I think we have some good pieces in front of us today. Um, so that's maybe what I kind of forecast into what I would like to see as a kupuna. I think I have to go back a little bit. Um, it's important to understand that in the mid eighties, when Uncle Kekuni folks restarted Laho Iho Iea, they were the fringe of the fringe. Yeah, they, they were saying things that Nobody was saying, you know, even when I was in high school in the 90s, to say the word sovereignty out loud was literally like, oh, they said the S word, you know, <laughs> like it was literally that kind of stigma to just even talk about that possibility that Hawaii could be politically autonomous again. Um
So like Imai was saying, I think, well, I just, I'm, I'm flashing on like what it looked like to be at Thomas Square in those early days where it could just be a couple dozen people in the, in the circle. Every, every year at, La, at Thomas Square, one of the first and the last things that happens is that everyone who's there gathers in a big circle around the, the flagpole. Um, and it's a way of assessing, you know, how many people, how big the circle is um, each year. But back in those earlier times, it was quite a small group. And if you had been in, um, in the movement around that time, a lot of the events kind of felt like mourning. You know, it really felt like what we were remembering was what was lost and grieving um, and anger <laughs> about it, you know. And um, those things are important. To, to have and, and to hold space for. But increasingly what I've seen La Hoi Hoi Ea transform into in the last decade or two is this really vibrant celebration as Imai talked about that has all different kinds of elements of it. So in a way, it's kind of like a microcosm of what a healthy and thriving La Hui and nation could be and, and can do, right? That if we think about <clears throat> this word air, um, sovereignty and air are not the same thing. Yeah, air can be used to, to refer to political sovereignty, but it's so much bigger and more capacious than that and includes so much more. And Uncle Kikuni's vision of what La Hoi Hoi Ea was, was always to be this big tent of Anyone who believes in Hawaiian independence, the possibility of Hawaiian independence was welcome there. You didn't have to say, I support the restoration of this particular constitution or I am under this king or queen, you know, or whatever. It was like to hold space for everyone. Everyone has room in the circle. And, and in that circle is room for all of us too love one another. There's also room for us to argue with one another, sometimes fiercely, um, but always at the end to come back to holding hands together in the circle. And um, so to me, what we're trying to create with all of these different things throughout July, you know, you can go to a film festival, you can go to a play, you can go to work days, you can go to fish ponds, you can literally dig up earth in Thomas Square and make emu, you know, to feed people who have gathered for La Hoi Hoi Ea and homeless folks who are just living around Thomas Square. You can go and um, participate in spoken word poetry. You can be part of the discussion tent and engage in like really difficult conversation about issues that are going on in our community. It's almost like we've been trying to create a microcosm of what a healthy nation could look like all the time yeah and it started from july 31st and now it's all of july and hopefully at some point it's you know all all year long um but that's that's kind of what i see is just it's a kipuka that that has been um growing over the last several years and it's really exciting to see other communities um 
on different islands or or in different moku on Oahu, um, creating that because air should there should be the space for everybody to breathe that air in the ways that make sense for their aina and their communities, um, while we also all recognize how we're all connected. Kumunai, what you were saying about lahoihoiea kind of being a microcosm for the lahui that we are continuing to grow um, really reminded me of something that Kumu Emalani K said at a poetry workshop um, held in conjunction with Nahuaea. I believe it was a couple of weeks before our final like spoken word and poetry sharing. Um, and she shared a quote from the book Freedom Dream. Um, it was like, I think it's like Freedom Dream and the Black Radical Imagination. Um, but the, the author of that book said, like in any movement, it has been the poets, no matter the medium, who have succeeded in imagining the color of the sky um, and in imagining the kind of futures that these social movements are capable of producing. And I really liked that quote when she said it. Um, and then she went on to kind of explain like that we often know what we're fighting against, like we're fighting against continued U.S. occupation of Hawaii and we're fighting against um, all of the injustices and the extraction and the exploitation of land that that occupation has facilitated. Um, but we maybe don't always stop to think about what we're fighting for. Um, and in the space of that workshop, she really pushed us to think about like what a demilitarized Hawaii could look like. And I think, I believe that was the focus of the workshop and like in a future that is demilitarized, what do you want to wake up to in the morning? What would you see? What would you smell in that future? Um, but I share the story now because it makes me think about how laho ihoi'ea kind of transports us to that future time in the, in the moments that we're together and in the spaces that we share. It's kind of an opportunity to think about, like, if we already are in this sovereign future, if we already are in this future of air, um, like, what is it going to look like? And how do we begin to create those spaces already so that when we do get there, we're like makoko? Yeah, that reminds me of um, one of our good friends, Puni Jackson, you know, who is affiliated with. Oh, who's a po'o of Ho'olu Aina and just a powerful manifestation of Haumea. Um, we had asked her one year <clears throat> what she envisions when she thinks about an independent Hawaii. And she answered by saying, you know, when I'm hapai, I don't know what my baby's going to look like when it's born. You just do all of the things that you need to do to take care of your kino and, of, you know, create the community around you. And then you, you birth that baby and then you get to see what the baby looks like. Um, so I thought that was just a beautiful analogy for some of the work that we're trying to do. Like we try to create the space to, to imagine and to strengthen and to heal and care for one another. Um, but we can't always know exactly what it's going to look like before it happens. 
And likewise, we don't always have like a child the the, the ability to control all of those factors. Um, so much of it is based off of trust and the development and and the investment that you put into the community who holds that sacred responsibility. Um, and so I really like that, uh, the way that she puts that, you know, you, you, you create, but it's not necessarily like designing, you know, a computer or something like that. It's, it's alive, you know, it breathes and it needs to be fed, um, it needs to be changed. It needs a nuclear once in a while. Uh, to keep it in line, you know, like, and, and these are important uh, faculties that Allah who he needs to be able to manage, you know, in, in terms of how we grow and cultivate what is, you know, some of those things are beyond our control. Um, we are blessed and sometimes we're burdened the same way and, and by, by things that we cannot control. Um, and so there are unanticipated twists and turns in the road that we take. And so just like our ancestors who got us, you know, to this slice of heaven, what is Ankovsky uh, call it is Aina uh, colored heaven. Uh, we need to adapt and adjust uh, as best as we can with the storms and the doldrums and the huge swells that come our way. Um, but like Papa Mao says, you know, it's if we have courage, it's because we have faith in the teachings of our ancestors. And so we have faith in the foundation that was given to us. We hope that our generation will, will also offer the next generation a degree of faith that uh, what we were doing was, was being done uh, with purpose and intent uh, for, for the elevation of our people. Um, just like our children, uh, expect that from their makua, you know, we're just caregivers, you know, in this time that we have, like we steward the Aina, the Aina is not ours. Um, and I think that operates the same way with this event, it's not ours, you know, it's not mine. Um, I've tried to detract as much as I can by claiming that I'm the organizer, um, because it's raised by the village, you know, it's raised by the community. Um, yeah, you know, I do some stuff, but I can't do it without Noah. I can't do it without Mahina. I can't do it without the host of people who, who have stepped up, you know, who raised their hand to that Kuliana as well in many ways. And we're given a, a chance to um, express their air through what gives them a sense of fulfillment as Kanaka, you know, as Hawaiians. Um, and we know that we're diverse. We know that we're many. Um, and that a rock wall isn't built with a single stone, you know. Um, it takes big stones, small stones, flat stones, funny kind stones, even ugly stones um, to create the integrity of, of a strong foundation. And so these are the theories and philosophies that pass down through the work of our people, you know, through the actual, you know, feet in the mud, kick, you know, smash your toe on the rock. Um, lessons um, that we develop along the way. Um, would it be perfect? No. Would it be struggle? Sure. Um, but will we overcome? Obviously. You know, absolutely. Um, we have faith and courage in that, uh, that our people uh, who, who maintain the course, um, they may have to tack 
every once in a while. Um, but to have a clear vision of where our island is and what Moku we're gonna we're gonna you know hanao from the ocean from Kahiki that we can't yet see and can't yet maybe even conceptualize and articulate yet. We have faith and we have hope because of the course that we've taken and, and who's put us on this va. Thank you for sharing those beautiful visions and really profound insights into what this process of nation building is. Yeah, I mean, this conversation has already been so ono and momona and vai vai and nourishing and a lot to digest. And so I'm super glad that we have this conversation recorded because I think it's going to be something that folks will want to listen to over and over again to let all of those insights really seep in. So mahalo for this conversation today. Mahalo for doing this. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me. And me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock. Written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening. Mahalo for joining us for our first podcast season featuring the community partners from our 2021 grant cycle. Ahui ho!